Would you just take one more moment to allow me to pray? God, I, I thank you for your power that's in this house. And Jesus, I just specifically pray to you today. Today, I want to share your heart. God, over the past few weeks, I've just fallen in love with Jesus all over again. And it's so hard to find words to share everything that you feel that you are, how you love. It's so hard to put it into words, and, and I can't because I'm not that great of a speaker to share that kind of word. So I thank you for the Holy Spirit who can translate a word and a message, even if my words don't give it justice. I ask that you open the hearts of every single person in this room. I take authority over the liar that will try to steal this seed and twist it. God, I just take authority over any resistance and I pray for soft soil of love, God, to fill this room in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I am usually uh, comfortable in the Lord to share the word, and today I'm good scared, like Bob says, because I know the importance of how you take what I share is going to be critical. And so I don't take it lightly. There are no slides with funny comics today. Sorry, Ella, she already told me this morning, darn it, you're so boring. Can't believe I'm not teaching when dad's not preaching. And I always laugh at that because you know what? I'm okay with that. I'm so glad she loves to hear her dad speak the word of God, and that is the highest compliment. One day she will enjoy me too. <laughs> when she becomes boring like the rest of us. But today I'm talking about Lazarus, so how boring could that be, right? But maybe in a way you've never heard it. So if you want to turn with me to John chapter 11, whether you have your iPad or your phone or your printed Bible, Turn to John 11. Um, the ver this is my life application. Somebody else was talking about their life application Bible. Oh, Rachel, I think it was. I have a life application Bible I started with in high school, and it is uh, shredded. So this is my mother-in-law's that I gave her as a gift, and she gave back to me. <laughs> Call her out on that one. She's like, I think this Bible's for you. I'm like, yeah, it is, because I've had the same one. But let's read in chapter 11, and just bear with me through the reading here. We're going to go one through seven, and then I'm going to skip a few verses and finish. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. 
He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the, love you, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Does that sound odd to anyone? Now Jesus loved them, so when he heard, he stayed where he was two more days. Now let me find my place again. And he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Number 17, on his arrival, Jesus found Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who's come into the world. After she said this, she went back and called Mary aside. The teacher's here, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place Martha had met him. When the Jews who'd been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who'd come along with her weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could he not, who opened the eyes of the blind, kept this man from dying? I want to stop there. The story of Lazarus is a powerful and familiar passage of scripture. But today I want to focus not necessarily on the miracle, but on the relationships that set this story apart. See, Lazarus wasn't just some random individual that Jesus came upon in his ministry and someone asked him to come and see and heal. Lazarus was a personal, close friend of Jesus. Mary and Martha are the same sisters we have read about hosting meals for Jesus. They're the same sisters who had the argument, which was more important, spending time at Jesus' feet or preparing for him properly. That's these sisters. They have memories with Jesus. They have a connection. They have a reason to believe that Jesus would do anything in his power for them. In our story, Lazarus becomes seriously ill to the point that he is risking death. And the sisters send for Jesus, and Jesus gets the message, but he waits two days to even start heading toward them. This hesitation, no doubt, brings about questions in the heart of Mary and Martha and would become a challenge in their faith. Mary and Martha expected Jesus to come immediately, and they had every reason to believe he would. They weren't just part of the crowd. They had spent time with him on multiple occasions. Mary had washed the feet of Jesus with her hair. They had spent time listening to his teachings and supporting his ministry. Truly, they had risked their own lives by opening their home to Jesus because Rome was not happy at this point. And they risked themselves to provide a place of comfort and protection for Jesus. They loved him. They had an intimate friendship with him. And the Bible says he loved them. Not like that God loved that we know he loved everyone, but he had a personal friendship with them. Now they're in a desperate situation and they're depending on him to come. When we're in a desperate situation, we will do anything we can to get help for us or our loved ones, right? We know of all kinds of situations, maybe looking for a specialist. If we have medical situations that are critical, we will try to find the the most experienced specialist we can find, the best money can buy. We've heard of families reaching out to ambassadors and diplomats and maybe even writing a letter to the president when their loved one is in danger and they need help. They don't know them but they're willing to to make a long shot here to take a risk and reach out because they're desperate. We've all been there where we grab at something and try to find anyone that can help. 
but it's another story altogether to go to a friend. Someone who has at their disposal exactly what you need. The expectation is, is that if the love is there, then the willingness to help you is there. Mary and Martha were devastated when Jesus didn't come in time to heal their brother. They knew in their heart that he could painful. I can imagine that the doubt and confusion were kind of blindsiding to Mary and Martha. Because up to this point, all they had known was the Jesus who was there when there was a need and the miracle that happened immediately. And freely he gave of that ability. They weren't prepared for a time when Jesus would seemingly fail them. Their words echo. If you had been here, why? Why him? Why now? What could you have been doing that was more important than your friend Lazarus? We thought you loved him. We thought you were the great healer. You've healed others. Why not our brother? And after everything we've been through together, he's been faithful and loyal to you. It's not fair. Sound familiar? Ever been there? Ever said this? Ever thought this? Done it. We even pray, God, you know how, how faithful they've been to you. So do this. This is what we do. Jesus arrives on the scene to grief and despair and disappointment and to this consensus that it's too late. He's too late. In Mark 5.22, we read another story almost Exactly the same where Jairus comes and he pleads with Jesus, my little girl is dying. Please, I know you can do it. Please come and heal her. But while they were still there, some servants or family came from the house and said, your daughter's dead. There's no use bothering him anymore. Essentially, it's too late. Never mind. He hasn't come in time. In both stories, they believed Jesus could do a miracle. But when Jesus did not arrive in time to do what they wanted in the way they expected, they gave up hope. One of the greatest obstacles that Jesus would face from the time he came into this world was the expectations of people, just like me and you. He was anything but what they expected. He was prophesied to be a king whose throne and kingdom would last forever. Yet he was born poor and helpless to people who were not royalty. They were humble. They were lowly. He was human in all ways, and he grew as a normal boy in his hometown. He worked as a carpenter to support his mother. He was known in the town simply as Jesus of Nazareth. And imagine how hard it would be to see this little boy grow up into a man 
and now to shift into believing that he's the Messiah that you've been praying for and longing for. Often, the things of God can be hard for us to accept because of our intellect, because of our humanity, our reasoning, our experiences. Yeah, we know Jesus. He's that little boy. Or is he? Or is there more than you can see, more than your mind can understand without the Spirit of God? Most of all, we have a hard time seeing God because of our own expectations. Israel was expecting a king who would overthrow the government and deliver them from Roman rule, Roman law, the oppression they were facing. Jesus did not come for the revolt that they were expecting. He came for a revolution. He would deal with their oppressors, but it was not the government oppression. He would set captives free, but not from those in political authority. He would change the world and he would rule forever, but it would come by changing hearts. He would come and bring a promise of eternal life, but the way it would happen is that he would go like a lamb to the slaughter and he would lay down his life. He would give it and he would die with criminals. This did not look like a reigning king, but he was. And the price that he was paying was the price to free the captives forever. It was the price for your healing. It was the price for your peace. It was the price for your victory and eternal life. Even at the cross, people were standing there saying, look at this. This is the king? Then come down. If you have power, why aren't you performing a miracle right now? The problem was he was performing a miracle. Amen. He was performing the greatest and only miracle we would ever need again. I am so glad that God does miracles still. He does. This is a house that says our faith is ridiculous faith because we know God can do anything. He has healed my mom of lupus. He has delivered Bob and I. We're both supposed to be dead as children. My mom fell down the stairs and the bag, the placenta broke halfway into her pregnancy and they said she will never live. They had to break the bag and hold me up and say, this is a miracle. The bag healed itself. I don't say that to bring any attention to me. What I'm saying is I believe in the miracles of God, but I'm telling you right now, the miracle of healing is nothing compared to the miracle of the eternal life and salvation we have in Jesus Christ. This is the miracle. But so many missed him. He was right in front of their eyes. 
but because they already had an expectation of how it would look and what he should do if he was the real savior. When it didn't look like they imagined, they became disappointed and they lost hope and they turned on him. Or at the very least, they just turned away from him. This isn't it. Guess we'll keep looking. And they missed it because he was there. Did Jesus care about the daily life of his friends here on earth and the oppression and the suffering they were enduring from Rome? Absolutely. Yes. And he cares about yours too. But what he cares about more than anything else is your heart and your relationship with him and your purpose here on earth. See, this is, this is a very, very limited moment here on earth. Our life is not about this. It's about that. It's about him. It's about going to see him. It's about living our life and taking as many people as we can with us to him. That's the only reason we're here. Or we could have just skipped this and gone straight to Jesus. But we have a mission. He has strategically written a story for your life. There are scenes that are scripted for you that are intended to bring you closer to Jesus and to ultimately bring glory and honor to him. These stories will be filled with joy and testimony and miracles as I've just shared that you're going to share with others to remind them he can do anything and he is powerful and he is great. They're going to be examples to the world of his authenticity. All these other gods promise this, but my God, my God is the one true God who can do anything. These are going to be testimonies and markers of that. But there's also going to be scenes in your story that include tears and suffering and heartbreak. These times are no less a part of God's plan for you. They are designed to bring you closer to him, to know him in a way you can only know him when it's you and him and no one else can come to your rescue. There is no place like that where you learn to depend totally upon him. It's not just the miraculous that brings God glory. It's also his steadfast love, his faithfulness to you in times of tragedy. It's his consistent provision for you and your family day after day that displays the beauty and the character and the glory of our God. As God walks with us through these times, that he chooses not to rescue us. He teaches us trust and he gives us perspective, his heavenly perspective. We're able to experience his comfort and his peace and his amazing grace. So when we come through on the other side, we can share our most intimate details of this loving God who never failed us with the people who need to hear it. If not us, who will they hear it from? 
And I think of what Pastor Nips said many years ago, and not in a good time in his life, in an extremely uncertain time when Sister Nip was diagnosed with stage four, I believe, cancer. He said, everybody wants to see a miracle, but nobody wants to be the miracle. Wow. That's hard. Yeah, I, I don't want my family to be the miracle. Can I just be transparent? Because that means there's a need for a miracle. And with that comes pain and fear and uncertainty and a choice a dividing road to choose what path are we going to take with God. And it can be scary. So what do we do when we're faced with a situation like Mary and Martha, when we've believed God and we know he can, but he doesn't? At least he doesn't do what's expected by us. Here's what we do we realign our expectations to the heart of God. The purpose of prayer is to align your heart with the Father's heart. We often hear about fasting. Fasting is not to get what you want from God. You don't lay out the, I'm fasting because you're going to do this. Thank you, God. This comes by prayer and fasting. So I shall have it. No, you fast to get the heart of God to pray it into the atmosphere. This is what you said. This is what you'll do. I pray it out. You got the heart of the Father. We align with his will to hear his heart and to lean into his understanding. Most of the time, our prayers consist of bringing a request and telling God what we want and how we want him to do it. Then we feel betrayed and disillusioned when God doesn't do what we told him. Think about it. When we pray, we're expecting a specific answer from God. Often we pray for God to answer our prayer in order to meet our wants and not necessarily to perfect his will in this time. For example, we can adopt an expectation that instantaneous miracles are always God's plan. I believe in miracles. I do. Do not mistake that. But we can have an expectation that serving God means we will never suffer as the world suffers. We will never experience something unfair or frightening or difficult to comprehend. We will look for him to deliver us immediately out of any difficulty, any situation that doesn't seem right. And if he doesn't show up and do it just the way we thought, when we thought, we will accuse him of being inauthentic and untrue to his word. Just because Jesus' plan wasn't Mary and Martha's plan didn't mean he didn't have one. In the story, Jesus said to his disciples, this sickness will not end in death. Did it end in death for the human beings? It appeared that way, didn't it? It appeared that it ended in death because he's in a tomb for four days. 
That kind of sounds like death. But he says, no, it's for God's glory. So God's son may be glorified through it. See, the sisters weren't just believing because that's what they wanted to happen and they hoped it would. He said it. So when he didn't come and Lazarus appeared to die, they were confused and began to question, possibly question, the truth of his words and what they believed. We've prayed sometimes, prayers that we believe were modeling after Jesus, and maybe we don't see an immediate result like he did, and it can leave us questioning. What we don't understand is he had the mind of the Father perfectly. He was aligned perfectly with how God wanted him to pray. We do not see clearly right now. 1 Corinthians says, now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely just as God knows me completely. The apostle Paul begged God three times to remove a thorn in his flesh, and he wrote this. What was God's response? My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. There was a plan for Paul's life that involved way more people than Paul. Paul was to spread this gospel And God chose to show his power in this weakness in Paul rather than deliver him. Isaiah says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. The truth is we'll never be able to predict and fully understand the ways God will move. The response to our prayer is in his hands. Our responsibility is to pray for the Father's will and to grow in our love and dependency on God so we will be able to walk in the joy and peace of knowing no matter what, his grace is sufficient for us. We know that the story of Lazarus ends in Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Not to be anticlimactic there in that point because it is so powerful and it is so awesome. The story has a miraculous ending. God did show up. Jesus did show up to do the miracle. He did. But prior to the miracle, there were four days. Four days that these sisters believed their brother was dead. Four days of grief, four days of loss, four days of doubt and questioning. Four days for the enemy to mess with their minds and rewrite the script about this supposed love he had for them. I can hear the devil now, true to his fashion, trying to get them to question God's love. Why did he wait two days if he loved you so much? He doesn't care about your suffering. He doesn't understand your pain. He's God. Looks like he's not going to do what you told others he would do. He didn't come because he's taking care of something or someone more important than you. Oh, he he loves to say stuff like this. 
They had four days for these thoughts to threaten their faith and encroach on this deep love they had with Jesus. But Jesus was coming. He was on his way. He had a plan, and he knew minute by minute what was happening, even though he wasn't there in the flesh. Because he told the disciples, he's sleeping, and I'm going there to get him up. So he knew what had happened. He knew what he was walking into. He didn't get there late with a plan B because he missed his first opportunity. Oh, darn. I missed my opportunity to heal him. Guess now I got to raise him from the dead. No, he wasn't on plan B. But Martha and Mary didn't know this. They had no way of knowing the plan of Jesus. All they knew is what they expected didn't happen. And the pain they're feeling is completely overwhelming. There are things we can know for certain and stand in so boldly and confidently when everything is right. But we can quickly have the so-called spiritual rug pulled out from under us in times of uncertainty. When our expectation is focused on God's hand and not his heart. When it's focused on his hand and not his presence. It's in that place between us calling out to God and waiting for him to show up where we're challenged. Will we trust him? Will we believe he's good? Will we look for his heart toward our situation and not just for deliverance? That's hard because that in-between place is difficult in the sickness in the suffering, in the loss, in the waiting, in the crushing, in the silence, in the storm. Even the disciples who knew Jesus better than anyone else and spent more time with him than anyone else were caught in a situation where they panicked and questioned if God really cared. He was with them in a boat and a storm rose up and it was raging and they were scared to death. And Jesus is sleeping. Only a teenager could literally sleep through anything. And Jesus. They wake him up and they say, don't you care? We're going to die. And they're amped up and they're frightened. Do you think that the disciples really thought Jesus wanted them to die? No. They knew he loved them. They knew that, but they panicked. Their emotions overwhelmed them, and they, they just cried out to him. They were looking at the waves. They were looking at the boat crashing. They were experienced fishermen, so this had to be pretty bad. Their focus was on the storm, and they completely forgot who was in the boat. If you had been with Jesus up to this point, what are you afraid of? He's there. It's not that he's gone, he's with you. But yet, they missed that. We're most vulnerable when these waves are crashing and the wind is beating and we're afraid. And if we're not deliberate in surrendering our emotions and our human understanding in difficult situations, we'll focus on that storm instead. 
instead of praising him for who he is and what we know he is going to do, it's storming him for the storm. What are you doing? It's storming, and you're just laying there. Just so you know, this is the end game of the devil. The main goal, his main purpose is to deceive you, to get you to turn against the one who loves you and would never harm you. He is the father of lies. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's the deceiver. And his game since day one in the Garden of Eden was to get you to question God's love for you and his motives. He wants you to question the circumstances God allows in your life. And he really wants you to question God's heart for you and his ability to feel deeply for you as you walk through this life. Don't buy into the lie for one second that God doesn't see your pain, that he doesn't feel your pain, that he doesn't empathize with what you're going through. Jesus comes to Bethany with a plan to raise Lazarus from the dead. He's getting ready to change everything, to do the miracle, relieve the pain, bring the celebration. But he arrives at the tomb before he completes the miracle, and he becomes overwhelmed with emotion. And he stops in front of the tomb, and he just starts weeping and crying. Why? He wasn't weeping for Lazarus. Lazarus was getting ready to live. He was going to resurrect Lazarus. Jesus was weeping because of the pain that he saw in those he loved. It broke his heart to think that maybe they were embarrassed he didn't show up. To think that maybe they felt betrayed or unloved. It broke his heart for what they had gone through for four days, that they agonized, that they were crying and grieving and mourning. But he knew it had to be this way. And that's in another sermon why it had to be four days, but it had to be four days for it to be legit that he was officially dead. Jesus knew that. I'm sure Jesus was hoping their faith and trust in him would fill in the gaps and questions. They had a good enough relationship for them to know he must be up to something. But that's not what happened. Even though he had this intimate relationship with them in their humanity, they still became overwhelmed. Everything was so painful and so factual. I mean, it's, it, even Martha said when they went to the tomb at the end, she says, I know you can do it, but you better not because his body is rotting by this point and it's going to stink. So it's like she wanted to believe, but the evidence was so clear that this wasn't possible that, that her human intellect wouldn't let her believe. Do not allow the enemy to trick you into questioning God's love for you when you don't understand his ways. No greater love has anyone than this, 
that he would lay down his life for his friends. Why would a God who would lay down his only son and Jesus, who felt humanity himself as he cried and begged God, if it's possible, take this. Even Jesus, he felt that. He felt that agony and the weight of the world and that fear of what he was getting ready to do, but he did it for you. Why would he do that to leave you stranded? Surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. In closing, sometimes even those of us who know Jesus most intimately and have seen miracles firsthand can miss his plan when we're blinded by pain and fear and grief. Even when Lazarus was raised from the dead in front of their eyes, some of the crowd went and spread the gospel. But do you know what others did? They ran to the Pharisees to tell about what happened and to get this stopped. He just raised someone from the dead, but sometimes you can be so blind to what God is doing that it's easier to be like, no, no, this can't be the truth. It doesn't make sense, so I'm going to go this way. We must line our heart up with the will and the word of God. In Mark 16, we see that Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb. She's looking for Jesus. His body is gone. And she sees two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus was, was laying at one time. They say, woman, why are you weeping? Because they've taken my Lord away, she says, and I don't know where they've put him. When she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. How can you spend time so intimately? She had been delivered from demons. She had walked with Jesus. She had been part of his ministry and not know it's him. Because sometimes our circumstances can feel so overwhelming and we can feel so lonely in our grief, we fail to look up. Maybe she saw a form, maybe she saw a person, but she didn't look into his eyes. But he says, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Thinking he's the gardener, she says, sir, if you've carried him off, just tell me where you put him and I'll get him. She just wanted his body. Jesus then says to her, Mary. And when he calls her by name, she snaps out of it because she knew the voice of the Savior she had such an intimate relationship with. She turned to him and called him teacher. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. Sometimes he leads us in pastures like the valley of the shadow of death. And we don't know why he's taking us through that. And we don't know where we're going. But if we will focus our eyes on his eyes, if we will listen when he says our name, we will be reminded he will not fail us. He will never leave us defenseless. He is a good shepherd. 
And if he's taking us this way, there's got to be a reason that there's no other way. Your story is about you and him, but it's also about you and everyone in your life he's going to touch through your circumstances, through your pain, and through the miracles. They're all meant to bring glory to him. But we've got to trust him. We've got to depend on him. You've got to spend time with him. When the enemy starts speaking lies to you, you've got to get in the word and speak the word back. This is not the truth. And I'm not going here because I know my God. I know him. I know his heart. And he loves me and he's never going to fail me. I'm going to pray and Pastor Bob and I are going to come up and if Pastor Nip could come up here, please. We're going to just offer prayer again at the end because some of you may be in this place and we just wanna agree with you. It's okay if you've gotten frightened and your, your eyes have gotten off of him. Maybe you're angry at him. Maybe you're disillusioned and you're questioning the shepherd just wants to hold you. He wants to speak your name again so that you know he knows you personally and his eyes are on you at all times. God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that you never leave us nor forsake us. I thank you that you are a God of miracles, but I thank you that sometimes the miracle isn't instantaneous. Sometimes the miracle is in what you do in us and through us to, through very difficult times. God, we receive that from you. God, we are not looking to serve a magic genie who does just what we say. We're looking to serve the one who created us. And from the very day we were born, had the hairs of our head numbered and knew the day that our life would end. Nothing will happen in between, God, if we are surrendered to you that is not part of a good, good plan. God, I love you and I worship you. I just ask for you to heal and mend the hearts of your people. Prepare us, God, to walk with you in any way you choose and to trust you and know you will perform miracles. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.